Okay, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be kind of working our way around 1st and 2nd Peter this morning as we look at things Peter calls precious. Uh, it is an interesting study, somewhat, if you will, and uh, we'll look at that this morning. We'll read 1st Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We'll get uh, one of those precious in there, 1st Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should, be, that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto the, themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Let's pray. Father, we come to Thee. We do thank You for, again, the opportunity to gather ourselves as believers in Thy house. I pray that You would quiet our minds and our hearts. And Father, we would set aside the cares and distractions that would so easily cause us to not hear You in Your Word today. But Father, we as believers are here yielded, ready to hear the truth that is here ready for the Holy Spirit to use it in our hearts and lives as you deem best and fit to conform us into the image of Christ. We pray for that soul that may be lost. Draw them unto thee this morning. May they truly see the preciousness that is here that Peter records for us, that starts and emanates from our Lord Jesus Christ. Do that work in each of our hearts. May we go forth rejoicing that we've been in thy house hearing thy word and have been changed by thy power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we read through the different books of the Bible. Uh, the authors will often focus on certain words and use them often as they write. And sometimes we don't always catch that, and other times we do. It just 
they kind of pop up. I, I think I've mentioned it um, here, but several years ago, reading through the book of Luke and uh, reading through my devotions, my Bible reading time, um, reading the book of Luke and then his second uh, treatise, the book of Acts, pray, prayer and praying popped up a lot to me. They've always been there. Those words were there the year before when I read through it. And five years ago, they were still there. But uh, that particular year, it was like, you know, the, they were neon lights on those words. And I was, it was just very noticeable that um, Luke captures a lot of Christ praying in the gospel. And then the founding of the church, the early disciples did a lot of praying. And uh, again, it was just something of one of those themes, if you will, that's in the scriptures that it's there. It's always been there, but now it, it's opened. And uh, it's a little more visible, if you will. And the authors do that. And I think it's on purpose. I mean, ultimately, God is the author of this book. And he knows what he wanted written uh, for us, both those that received those letters uh, and those books, and those of us now, decades, centuries down the road, we need these things. And uh, we have them here. And precious is one of those words that Peter puts in these two short epistles quite a bit and uh, notes them. Sometimes they're adjectives, sometimes they're nouns. Um, but he brings them up, and uh, we see it. It's a couple words in the Greek. Uh, most of them are the same word, but then they're compound words. They've stuff, stuck a prefix on it in the Greek and put it in there, but the base word is, is there. Uh, and our translators have just translated kind of all those words as precious. And uh, we'll look at these things this morning. As Peter drives home to his readers the things that are precious for the believer. As we noted in verse 1 and 2, Peter is writing to those that were strangers, understanding that this world is not our home. They were scattered about through what we know as modern day Turkey. Uh, those Roman pro provinces called Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia were provinces in what we know as Turkey today. And uh, so he's writing to believers. So if we're a believer this morning, guess what? Peter's writing to us. It is just as significant for us today as it was in the first century when Peter wrote it. Um, he wrote it to believers. And uh, while our situations have changed, we don't live in Turkey. Uh, we live here in, in northwest Montana. But the, again, the truths that are recorded for us here are just as vital for us today as they were the day that Peter wrote them and sent them off to these provinces for those churches, for those believers to read and to be encouraged, convicted where necessary, but to draw closer to God. But here's where Peter uses them, and we're going to bounce around uh, a little bit. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, so if you want to turn a page or two, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, Peter, if you will... Though we've already seen the word precious here in the first few verses of chapter 1, our focus on precious is Jesus Christ himself. And we see that in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, as Peter is writing, he says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. 
Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. As we note here, this preciousness that he is speaking of is in direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is precious. And uh, the underlying Greek word speaks of being something um, that is unique, rare. And truly our Lord Jesus Christ is that. He's the Messiah. There is no other one like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a one of a kind. There is only one Messiah for the world. And that's Jesus Christ. He himself is precious. Now, in, in this picture that Peter is illustrating for us, he's, he's giving the image of, of a stone and other stones. He's looking at the building of a building. And Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. Um, he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Psalm. Um, he quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16, and Psalm 118, verse 22, that... Uh, in both cases, looking at that chief cornerstone, elect and precious, being the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our chief cornerstone. If we understand building, the cornerstone was the stone that set the building to be built correctly. The cornerstone had to be you know, carved, uh, if, if you're going to make a square building or a rectangular building, then that corner needs to be a nice 90 degree angle. And because it sets the rest of the building. If it's off, then the rest of your corners are going to be off. And so the builders, historically, would be looking over that cornerstone as it came from the quarry to look at it to see, does this fit the bill? Does it meet the specs that we need it to meet in order to lay it and then start finishing the building? And uh, the psalmist reminds us that, yes, that was the Lord Jesus Christ, but the builders, if you will, moving forward to Christ's day, the religious leaders, did they accept that cornerstone when he came? They did not. They rejected their Messiah. And uh, the adult Sunday school class, we're seeing that in the book of John. The religious leaders of Christ's day were given the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah. And they said, he doesn't fit the bill. And we're rejecting this cornerstone. We're setting him aside. We want something else. Because we deem that cornerstone unfit for use. And so that cornerstone became, as he continues in our passage here in Peter, became a rock of offense, a stumbling stone. And the Jews stumbled over him, and they still are to this day. Because they have, by and large, rejected their Messiah. 
But he is the precious one. What a joy to understand that as believers, do we not? Because he is our chief cornerstone. And we are the stones that are built upon him. Again, he's giving us the picture of a building. Christ is the foundation. Paul will use that illustration somewhat elsewhere in the book of Romans and in Corinthians uh, to show us that he's the foundation and we're built upon. We're the other building materials, if you will, to show forth the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We're the other stones that God has been put together. We don't always see it and understand it because we're literally not a stone in a building, um, but we're there nonetheless. The picture is, I believe, a good illustration for us to understand we are built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we are to show forth to a lost and dying world their need of trusting that cornerstone. You know, again, the builders, as they build it, are trusting that stone to be correct. Our previous church that we were at, um, much as I've learned the history of this church, uh, the people of the church through the years built their buildings. And in some renovating and in some repairs on things, um, we found that that building didn't have a carpenter, a master construction person overseeing the building of it. And it's amazing what carpet can do to hide things. And uh, removing carpet and putting down uh, ceramic squares, it became easily seen that the building, the area that these were put down, was not square. The carpet hid that. You couldn't tell. But when you put down squares that are square, and you go out to the edges, it quickly became noticeable, our building's not square. Too late now, you live and do what you can with it, especially when it comes to repairs, you, you kind of work around those things, but you know, our, the building that the Lord Jesus Christ is building is square, if you will. It is a precious building. And uh, we have the joy to be a part of it. And uh, so he does, and he is precious to us. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he himself is indeed precious to us. Let's back up to verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1, maybe across the page. The Lord Jesus is precious because of the blood he shed for us. Verses 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Lord Jesus is precious because of the blood that he shed for us. Every believer knows these certain truths that are here. That we have been redeemed, verse 18, we have been bought back. Those of us that are of the platinum blonde era in our hair color, or salt and pepper, <laughs> for some of us that are more 
uh, pepper than salt, but the salt's coming in. Uh, as I like to say, I'm platinum blonde. I was blonde at one time. I've just gone platinum. We know what redemption is. Many of us would go out and pick up Coke bottles or Pepsi bottles or Royal Crown bottles, just any kind of soda pop bottles, and we would do what? We would redeem them. We would take them to the corner store or wherever, and we would have that six-pack. And we would take those back, and typically you got five cents for each bottle. A six-pack got you 30 cents, and you were able to buy a Coke or a Pepsi. Uh, free, so to speak. I mean, as a kid, that was great. Because you could find these bottles anywhere and everywhere. And that's what we would do as kids. We'd pick them up, and then we'd take them back to the store, get money, and we thought this was pretty good. I mean, hey, we weren't working for this. We were out playing. So this, these bottles were being picked up on the side just while we were playing. But we redeemed them. Why? The company would buy them back. Those bottles would go back to the bottling plant. They would be sterilized. They would be filled up again, capped, and sent back out into circulation. We were recycling long before anybody knew about recycling. But we redeemed them. Christ redeemed us. He bought us out of the slave market of sin and brought us unto himself. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins. And he bought us. We're purchased twice over, as Paul would remind the Corinthians. We're, we're purchased by the fact that he created us. We're his by creation, but we're also his by redemption. And uh, what a joy to know that. But it is that precious blood that was shed on our behalf. And indeed, it is precious that he was our substitute. Verse 19, as we read there and we noted that, he continues, In eternity past, God was making provision for man's salvation, and that in due time Christ was made manifest for you. We didn't read it, but we see that in verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It is to me mind-boggling to consider that God had his plan before there ever was a world. Because we typically can't live our lives like that. Because our lives aren't lived by our plans. Are they? Mine isn't. Our plans were to be here in February. And be in a house. Hopefully by the end of February. And the end of February, I think we had put in maybe one offer on a house, but it hadn't gone, didn't go through. And our plans were not what was accomplished. God's plan was accomplished, but not ours. But God had a plan in eternity past. And Christ was, as it were, hidden, revealed along the way bits and pieces through the Old Testament until finally he was made manifest, seen as he robed himself in human flesh. 
and came and walked on this earth, lived the perfect life that we could not live, and then died as our substitute for our sins on the cross of Calvary. And indeed, he is precious. We understand as we continue that, verse 21, that because Christ was raised from the dead, his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, verse 21, as we continue, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. What a blessed hope we have as believers, as Paul would say. It is a blessed hope, a confident expectation. Because he lives, we live also. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we too will be there one day. And as far as God is concerned, as Paul would tell the Ephesians, we're already there with him. We are seated in the heavenlies. They say, but no, I'm seated in First Baptist Church of Columbia Falls, Montana. Well, yes, our physical seating is here, but our spiritual seating is with Christ in God in heaven. Our salvation is complete. That's one of the hard, to me, one of the harder things to help us to grasp is the fact that our salvation, not just trusting Christ, which is the beginning of our salvation. But that whole thing that is the Christian life, God sees as being complete. That is where those who do not believe in eternal security miss so much of their understanding of what salvation really is. Because it is all wrapped up in Christ. And Christ is perfect. And God already sees us in heaven with him. And it is because of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And so Jesus Christ is precious because of the blood that he shed for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Lord Jesus is precious because of the faith he excites in us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. As he again writes, Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant of and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Quite a mouthful, but we have a precious faith, and God excites it, if you will, in us. We are to exercise that faith. All believers have faith since they are saved by faith. Faith has brought us into a redemptive relationship with God through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a precious faith. And we all have it. Peter notes that to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Too often times... I think we get this wrong idea of believers. We have preachers, missionaries, spiritual leaders, if you will, in this category that they have a faith that I don't have. And then there's us, the rest of us. And I'm over here like this, but they're over there like that. But 
Peter doesn't make a differentiation here. Peter, the apostle, one of the original twelve, who lived and worked and walked and ate and saw all that Christ did, who himself God used in mighty ways after the ascension of Jesus Christ and the establishing of the church in the first century, as he is writing here, says to those that he's writing to, you've obtained like precious faith with us. We all possess the same faith. There are no compartments, if you will. There are no divisions of how God has given faith and how it can be exercised and worked and grown in us. And it is God that does the working in us. That is, the, to me, one of the greatest joys of the Christian life is, one, being open and yielded to letting God use his word in our hearts to change us, to mold us and shape us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and see our faith grow, and see how God will use us in ways that we never thought possible. I know I've said it, and I'll probably say it many more times in the years ahead, but I do stand amazed that here I am standing in a pulpit in Montana. A boy who was saved on the Creekside in eastern North Carolina. A, a nobody. I don't come from a rich family. You know, I'm not a Vanderbilt or a Gates or, you know, a musk, you know, put the name of whoever is out there famous. And yet God has chosen in his wisdom and in his grace to put me into the ministry, to move me around, to allow me to go to India, which just, uh, that just astounds me. I'm flabbergasted. And I trust that I always will be, because it does amaze me that God would do that. I mean, I look back, as I've said in, in my own testimony, of, of seeing in high school, finishing those last two years of high school in a Christian school, and God stirring in my heart for the ministry, and me saying, No, God, we need, we need to talk about this. But he excites that faith in us, and it grows, and it's amazing. As I said, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Okay, God, you don't want me to be a fighter pilot? I'll, okay, then, then I'll be a missionary pilot for you. And I will fly the preachers around the various mission fields. I tried bargaining with them, and you don't bargain with God. There's no, give, there's no give and take. It's not, okay, then, yes, fine, I'll let, no. But as we give in and allow God to be God to us and exercise that faith, it's amazing what God does. That he uses us in ways that we probably never thought possible. 
Because I know I was scared to death to stand in front of people and speak and talk. I know many of my church members would have liked, you know, my first message lasted all of five minutes in children's church. And then I walked across the hall to the other group of children's church and I expanded it to ten minutes. Now, I have done much better here than I have in other places, so um, as far as time is concerned, but scared to death. As a high school student talking to a bunch of young kids, I shouldn't have been scared. I mean, those were kids, for goodness sake. But when we do what God wants us to do, that faith grows, and it truly does get exciting. It is a precious faith that he has imparted to us that we can see grow and develop and see our lives drawn closer to Christ, living for him, and seeing him working through us in ways that we would have never thought possible. Truly a precious faith. Here in chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is precious because of the grace and promises he bestows upon us. Verse 4 is whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It is a wonderful fact that God has given the believer promises to cover every possible need that may arise. There's nothing that happens in our life as a believer but what we can't come to God and God will supply and meet that need. Take care of that concern. We have those exceeding great and precious promises that are recorded for us in this book. C.H. Spurgeon said this, We never really prize the promises of God until we are placed in conditions in which their suitability and sweetness are manifested. How true. We can see many of the promises and read them, but until they become used by us, we don't really catch how good they are. But when we call on God and say, God, you promised... That's when we see God at work. Because God is going to uphold his promises to us. He's never broken a promise. He never will. Because he's God. We can have a hard time with that sometimes because have people kept promises to us through our lifetimes? I've had several people break their promises through my brief lifetime. And too oftentimes we get cynical then, don't we? We we become skeptical. We become gun shy about well, he said he was going to do that or she said she was going to do that. I'm not so sure. I'm just And our expectations get very lowered. 
And sadly, we bring those over into our, the spiritual realm, too. And we look at God that way. Well, yeah, he said that, but I don't know that he'd do that for me. And we put God at a low expectation when we shouldn't. He wants us to hold us, himself to his own word. God is going to fulfill it. He saved us, did he not? As he said he would if we come by faith to him. He keeps us. What a joy to have that. We have the promise that we are guarded by the power of God by faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, there, we could go over promises and promises and promises for the next several days. I mean, those are messages in and of themselves, but God is preparing us for his second coming. We have the promise that he is going to take care of us. We're kept by the power of God. What a joy to know that. If I remember, let me go back to 1 Peter 1, verse 5. I think I have it in my notes. Yes, the word kept is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 4, 7. When we are kept... We're garrisoned. We are protected. That's what that original Greek word is referring to. It's a military term to guard, to garrison, to protect. To the Philippians, they would understand it because Philippi was a Roman colony. They had a military presence in town. The Roman legion was there. The Philippians could feel secure. The enemy is not going to attack us. We have the Romans here. Peter uses that same Greek word in our passage here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. We are kept by the power of God. God's power, as it were, surrounds us, protects us, takes care of us. We have that promise. He tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And guess what? He never leaves us and he doesn't forsake us. We may forsake him. We may deny him, like Peter has done. But he hasn't done that to us. And that truly should humble us. But it also should bolster and strengthen and encourage us. Lastly, 1 Peter chapter 1 Back to verses 6 and 7. Let me get there. The Lord Jesus is precious because of the way he deals with us. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Lord deals with the believer in an unusual way. Has he not? 
I mean, he certainly hasn't worked in the ways that I would have thought he would work in my life. He has things for us that we never thought would come along our way. He uses the trials and testings to draw us closer to him, to show his faithfulness to us, to see his strength revealed. And we can be, as James would say, to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Because the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold. What's more precious than gold? Our faith. And the trying of it. The testing of it. That word trial speaks of testing to prove our faith is real. God understands us better than we understand ourselves. And as Job reminds us, God is refining us. He is putting us through the fires of testing, melting down the metal so that the impurities can come to the top. That's how metals are refined, typically. You melt them down and the impurities come to the top. Whether it be gold, silver, whether you melt down lead for doing various things, the impurities always come to the top and you skim the dross off. And the metal is the finer or refined. God is doing with us that process, if you will, when he tests, when he tries our faith. He's helping us get rid of the impurities. He's refining us. He's bringing out Christ's likeness more and more through it. As we yield to him and allow him to be at work and see that process go through. Do we understand it a lot of times? No. We are like Job. In one sense, left in the dark. God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. And Job didn't understand. And throughout at least the book of Job, he never understood. God never told him the why. Because God didn't have to. He's God. He's the sovereign. We're his sons and daughters. Whom he's forming into Christ's likeness. But Job's faith was always in God. Why does God deal with us in this manner? Here's a few. In order that our ambitions and sensual desires may be removed from the material of time and fix them on things eternal. Back up to verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We are imperfect people going to a perfect place one day. And God is preparing us to be in his presence perfectly. So he's got to get rid of the impurities, if you will, within us. He's already given us the process. He's going to give us a new body because these bodies 
are corruptible and we're going to be in God's presence incorruptible. So he already has the plan laid out. So I'm going to give you a new body. But the soul and spirit, the real us, still is a work in progress. And so that's why the testings come along. To make us more Christ-like. To prepare us for being in his presence. Verse 5 in order that we may prove in our own experience the wonderful keeping power of God, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in order that we may rejoice even in the midst of trials and testing. In order that we may be purified, verse 7, which we've already read. The trying of our faith being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Verses 7 and 8, in order that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified and that we may have a special opportunity of proving our love for him. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. I trust that it certainly helps us to understand the Word of God more as we go through these times to see these kinds of verses and realize this is what God is trying to do. And to me it is one of the blessed things of reading the Word of God and God using it to help us understand what's happening. As I said here recently, either we're in a trial or we just pass through one or guess what? There's one on the horizon. It's coming. We're in one of those three places. And we're going to cycle through those for the rest of our natural days. Because God is preparing us to be with him in heaven. And so these things that happen in our life become precious. Because God is the one at work bringing Christ-likeness out in us. We're not always going to see it ourselves, and typically we don't. Because along with that comes our own put-in humility. And we don't see it. Others do. I know I mentioned him I was able to go home for his funeral, but Pastor Wingard, my home pastor, to me was the epitome of the biblical concept of humbleness. He never thought himself to be what he was. In some respects, a man larger than life. A man God used greatly, not just in eastern North Carolina, but literally around the world. And he never saw himself that way. Never. We did. Everyone else did. 
they knew God was using him greatly through those decades of serving. But he didn't. He was a humble servant of the Lord, pastoring a church from 1962 until he passed at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And he's in God's presence today, joying and rejoicing in his Savior that he longed to see. But he truly was a humble man, born in a textile mill town of South Carolina. But God sent him all over the world, ministering to missionaries, being a great encouragement to fellow pastors in ways that he never understood. I've talked to many people that have crossed paths with him and he said, you know, I was going through a time in my life and I was in a meeting with him and he just came over, we talked and we prayed and God really used you know, just a few words that he had to say. That's what God desires to do in us and through us to be used of him in ways that he wants done, not us. And it truly does become a precious Lord Jesus Christ to us as we see him work in great and mighty ways, which we know not. Is the Lord Jesus Christ precious to us this morning? Peter sees him as being precious in so many ways. May we see him that way too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two epistles that Peter wrote. And the things that Peter saw as being precious in the life of believers. Father, I pray that we too are not just coming to see their preciousness now, but we have seen them. And Father, if we've not, then I pray that we have been. That we have taken time for you to use your word now and show us just how precious the Lord Jesus Christ is and what you are doing in our lives to change us into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That our faith would be such that we see thee at work and we truly do rejoice and joy in you in all situations that you have given to us. That the trying of our faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, that though it be tried with fire, Father, that it would be found under the praise and honor and glory at your coming. Father, what a joy to look forward to that day, and may we be looking forward to it when we will be in your presence. May we not be ashamed. But Father, may we humbly see thee at work. Father, you so desire that Christ be formed in us. More than I think we will ever understand, though we may groan and desire it greatly. So, Father, I pray that we would willingly take the experiences that you give and go forward with them, seeing our faith grow in you, the precious promises that you have given to us, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. 
that we are already in your presence, seated in the heavenlies with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that our lives would reflect the truth of the preciousness of Jesus Christ. The world needs to see Christ. And they will only find him in your word and in your children. May we take that word. May we live it, love it, and show forth to a lost and dying world the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be here to encourage and edify one another as fellow believers, to exhort one another as we looked at last week. And go forth for thee. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, believers, I don't know your lives completely. I don't know a lot of that. Still learning. But how precious is Christ to you this morning? How precious are these words that we have read showing us who our Savior is, what he has done, what he is doing in our lives. May we not take these things for granted. May we not lightly esteem them. Maybe God is at work in your heart this morning and you would just with an uplifted hand say, Pastor, pray with me. God's doing a work in my heart that he desires to do. And I'm willing to be used of him. To see the faith grow, to see truly the preciousness that God desires in me. And you're just with an uplifted hand say, yes, Pastor, God's, God's shown me those things this morning. Thank you. Thank you. God desires to show himself faithful to us. May we allow him that. Father, we pray that you would be at work with your word. We thank you that you are. And Father, as we take time to close out our service, may we go forth in thy strength. May your word long linger in our hearts. May we draw ourselves back together again tonight as we look forward to the evening service. And Father, as you tarry and spare us to return on Wednesday to take time to spend together in prayer one for another. May we go forth in thy strength and not our own. May we see thee at work in ways that we never thought possible. Send us forth in thy strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mark will come and lead us in a closing hymn. May we take time with God this morning as he deals with us with his word.